Hey y'all, time for another deep dive. This one on Astros shortstop Jeremy Pena. I hopped on with our friends from Locked On Astros to go through his scouting report, uh, some projections for him, and what Astros fans can expect this season. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are Locked on Houston Astros, and we are your daily Astros podcast. I'm H-Town Wheelhouse. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at H-Town Wheelhouse. You can find the show at Locked on Astros on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Always positive, always Stros. And the special guest with me tonight is none other than Mr. Lindsey Crosby himself. Lindsey, where can they find you? I am on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My show, Locked on MLB Prospects, is available at Locked on Farm and wherever you get your podcasts. You know, thank you, Lindsay, for you know joining me. Um, I started looking into Jeremy Pena, and we talked to him on our big three prospects. I actually was going back doing my homework, listening to my own show, and listening to your expertise. I love what you bring. Um, thank you so much. And I just want y'all to know that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar in the land. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. So what I did, um, Lindsay, was I took the information you gave us the last time we came together. Um, I used things like fan graphs. I looked at baseball reference, the athletic, the Rosenthal article, um, Prospect Live, um, Larry the GM. All these sites I'm giving credit to because I had to go and gather all this information. And, you know, I, I think the more I have you on, the more we have you on the show, the more I just respect the the perspective you come from, because there's a lot of study that goes in. And what I want to start with Jeremy Pena is his background and his fielding, but his background, and you can speak to this because you kind of mentioned something about not many players come from the University of Maine that are baseball players. And so Jeremy Pena's pedigree is a major league pedigree. His father um, is, is none other than um, Geronimo Pena, who basically when they when he was 12 they moved to Providence Rhode Island from the Dominican so he had major league experience he had been around clubhouses he had been around pros and you know that makes a big difference and just because a major league player obviously does something in the major leagues doesn't necessarily mean that their kids will always follow suit i know Craig Reynolds his son was coming up to the Cubs organization never did anything you flip that King Griffey Jr was better than Ken Griffey Sr. Barry Bonds was better than Bobby Bonds. So maybe the Jeremy Pena and Geronimo Pena thing will come through. I mean, Vlad Guerrero Jr., as great as he was, who knows? Vlad Guerrero Jr. may end up being better than his dad um, at the end of their career. And so when they moved to Providence, Rhode Island, he got noticed in high school. Um, He wasn't the prototypical prospect in high school. Um, He wasn't highly touted like a Bryce Harper Forrest Whitley, Garrett Cole, or even Nolan Ryan. I mean, you know, out of the local high school, Alvin High School. Um, but he had the tools, okay? And that summer, his ball coach sent a tape to the college coach where he eventually went and said, you got to see this kid. This is the best shortstop that I've seen in high school. I mean, I've ever seen, and I've been coaching for a while. And that coach from Maine said, wow, I was impressed from the second I saw him. Yeah, and and the thing about Jeremy Pena is he has the physical tools, uh, and for some reason that didn't 
kind of pop off the page like a Bryce Harper, like a Garrett Cole. Uh, And so he's that rare prospect that has the lineage, but still goes to college and spends significant time in college. And I think that is part of the reason, like when we talk later about his personality and his makeup, I think that's part of the reason we have such good comments to say is because he's that rare blend of a guy who, who has great genetics uh, great upbringing, but then also got a chance to play at a high level in college for quite a long time. Yeah, and I think unlike any other any of the other major sports, probably football would compare, but you know basketball is really one and done. Um, but football and baseball, it is so invaluable. Like these guys, and not everybody's a great college player in baseball goes to the pros and makes it. I mean, we've seen our fair share of top prospects, even in the Astros organization, Brady Aiken, if I need to name any names, guys that had so much promise, guys that you really thought were going to just be this can't-miss prospect, and boom, they ended up not making it. Um, He is an elite defender by most scouts. He has a long-term future at shortstop. That's what a lot of people say. They call him a plus defender. Um, He's got a quick first step. It's real smooth. He has natural in, infield actions with soft hands to match. Um, let me let me tell you this. I remember. Um, I don't know if you remember the name Drew Stubbs. Drew Stubbs was yeah. an infielder. Now he was he was in Houston working out at Second Baptist School in Houston when I taught there, and I was out watching this kid named Billy Arndt, who at the time was one of the top second basemen. He played for the um, under sixteen USA um, boys. You know. USA national team. And I remember watching Billy play as a high scorer going, wow, this kid was amazing. This kid had the tools. And then Drew Stubbs came out there and he made Billy look like he was in T-ball. I mean, the fluidity that Drew had um, as this prospect, I I think he had just been drafted maybe by the Reds or whoever it was, but it it was night and day, the difference. Mm -hmm. And so what they're saying about him here back in college and high school is what I was saying about Drew Stubbs when I first saw him field in person. He moves well both left and right with the ability to control his body. He gets into his throwing position and probably one of the best defenders in the Houston system. He has a grade of 60 with the glove. Yeah, and and when you watch him, the big thing behind uh, watching somebody play defense, and you kind of – they allude to it in here with, you know, uh, natural actions, soft hands, but it doesn't look like he's laboring to play defense. And that's something you watch at a lower level – and he can, like, they're probably going to be able to do it at a lower level if they're not a plus defender. The question is, how hard do they have to work to actually make it happen? And he's one of the players that defense comes naturally. And it's, it's more valuable, obviously, to have a guy who can stick it short. But there's less risk in the projection when you know that he's not going to be defensively limited and possibly have to change positions. And so I think when you look at some of the prospect rankings and you see him as the number one, number two prospect in the system, you see him rank kind of highly. Part of it is because there's no, like there's very little risk baked in as far as his defense. That's just, it comes naturally. It's, it, it's instinctual. Uh, and it's something that he should be able to do for a long time to be a plus defender. And in my projections, one of the, possible scenarios as I talk about um, his gold gloves about, you know, will he be in contention for multiple gold gloves as far as evaluating defense? And that's kind of what what we're looking at. He's not going to be considered the best defender in the league, 
um, right. at his position, but there will be seasons where he is in that top five for discussion of, is this a gold glove shortstop or not? Yeah. And you know, Houston has a history of really a very good shortstops. I mean, Adam Everett, who, who, man, can you imagine if Adam Everett could have hit for 290, 280, and could have had a little bit of pop? I mean, Adam Everett was one of the best shortstops that I've ever seen play the position. We had Craig Reynolds. I talked about him earlier, watching him in the Dome in the 80s. Then obviously Carlos Correa. You know, you know, you're, you know, losing him is huge. And what I love about him and we can hit more on this later about his makeup, is he said, look, I'm not here to replace Carlos Correa. I'm here to be Jeremy Pena. His arm going to the, you know, going with with the fielding theme is is an above average arm with good online zip and carry in his official um, scouting, you know, report with rush. He said he will rush through his mechanics at times and overthrow his intended target, but it's rare. Overall, good throws on tough plays and takes an extra second on the easy ones. They grade him at a 55. So if if a kid is a 55 grade with an arm, a 60 grade fielding, that's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, so so 55 is equivalent to a a starter on a contending team. Uh, 60 is kind of like occasional all-star. So they're rating him. They're saying right now he's somewhere between an everyday regular for a contending team and an occasional all-star at that position. Um, the thing about his arm, and I see this a lot, and I'm, I'm not making the comparison, but I see this a lot when it comes to those throws, uh, those defenders who are exceptionally good at defense. And the, the the model I always give is Angleton Simmons, a guy that that can always make the play on defense, and no matter how fast you run, no matter how quick you are down the line or out of the box, the throw gets there a step before you do. Uh, and like I see shades of that when I watch Jeremy Pena as far as the arm strength. And they kind of allude to it. You know, good throws on tough plays, takes an extra second on the easy ones. It's He knows when to spend his bullets. And it kind of goes off of he has a good internal clock, which comes back to the instincts. He, he has a good natural feel for defense. And so he understands when do I need to move like when do I need to speed up my my processes to get this ball out and when can I take my time but either way he's going to get the guy at first today's episode is brought to you by our friends at at athletic greens our this this partner of ours has a product I use literally every single day I started taking athletic greens because I have celiac disease autoimmune disorder I can't digest I can't eat gluten um, so I have to go gluten-free and it's not because I, you know, cause I want to, it's because I have to, but to go along with celiac disease, um, I struggle to, to absorb nutrients, uh, both from food and from medicine. Uh, and so I've been taking vitamins, I've been taking supplements for years and I've always struggled to try to get, you know, the right amount of iron and things like that. And athletic greens, uh, has been a game changer for me. So athletic greens is, 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens that you get from one scoop. So you take one scoop of Athletic Greens, uh, you put it into 8 to 12 ounces of water. I do cool water every morning, drink it on an empty stomach, and it absolutely goes well. It's less than one gram of sugar. Um, you know, it's it's there's no artificial stuff in there. It's all natural, uh, and... For me, very big. It's gluten-free, but if you need it, it's also dairy-free. It's vegan. It's paleo. It's keto-friendly. So it can help a lot of different people. And like I said, it's 
it's like it's become the one thing I do every single day to take care of myself. Uh, So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we head into flu and cold season. It's one scoop and a cup of water every day and that's it. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash MLB network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash MLB network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So Jeremy Pena, we've set him up pretty nicely, given his Mm -hmm. background, his fielding, and his glove. Now, the big question, can he hit? Okay. Because Carlos Correa, now Carlos Correa didn't ever, I don't think he ever hit over 280 in a season. Okay. Um, I think maybe 276 was the highest he got. And you, you may want to fact check me on that because you know, someone will in the comments later, but Carlos Correa, even though he didn't hit for a high average, he got key hits. He got clutch hits. Obviously his postseason prowess, is really second to none. And um, I think someone like that, again, you're not trying to replace Carlos Correa. You're just trying to find your shortstop of the future. Um, what was what was Correa's highest average on the season? So he hit 279 in three separate seasons, which is wild. But in 2017, he did have a 315 batting average. That was the only one over 280. Okay, so the 315, did he play the full season in 2017? Uh, that was 109 games. Okay, okay. So, yeah. all right. So, you know what? Um, I honestly... But you were, okay. other than that, I mean, you you okay. nailed it. Like, he, hit, he, he <laughs> yes. went just under 283 separate seasons, which is just, in and of itself, amazing. Yeah, exactly. It, it, I mean, look, again, we're not sitting here trying to make the case that Jeremy Pena is Carlos Correa. That, that's, that's not what we're here to do. What we're here to do is... Like, we hear words from Jose Altuve. He's the next superstar. Okay, so let's see what what gives him that pedigree. Let's build the case for him. So hitting-wise, he sets up square to the plate with a classic approach. Um, His hands are set below his shoulder, um, a slight bend in his knees at the waist, front toe slightly open towards the pitcher, but it's an acute alteration. So what happens is he has a slight, slight leg lift trigger mechanism, slight crouch and load, as he drops his shoulder and and contracts pre-swing, this gives him power. He's a patient hitter. He takes a high number of pitches per at-bat, which can be good. Despite this, he avoids passivity and has kept his walk rate and swinging strikes rates at above average level. Now, he's graded at a 50, okay? Um, and I want you to tell me what you think of his bat right now. We'll talk about his power and then talk about how that power is made him go up a little bit, I think, in strikeout percent. Yeah, so in college, he was a very kind of handsy hitter. Like, it was a lot of, I'm just going to use my natural athleticism to, you know, and and manipulate my wrist if I have to to get the bat to cover the right spot of the plate on this pitch. Uh, And he's really worked on making it more of a natural swing. So when you watch him, you know, and you you touched on it in the breakdown, but he's got a good load you know, he has a good body position for it. I have a bat around here somewhere. I keep trying to grab a bat. I have a, it's floating <laughs> around here somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah. But the thing that I like, and you, you did touch on it, is he he has good patience as far as 
he doesn't swing at bad pitches. He's not chasing. Uh, it's it's kind of the mentality of I'm going to hit strikes and I'm going to hit them hard. And so so I like that aspect of his game and something I wanted to touch on a little bit later. But it is interesting when he came back from the injury last year, he was a lot more aggressive when he came back than um, before he got hurt. And so part of me thought, you know, Part of me is waiting to kind of see what that looks like this year. Does he keep some of that aggressiveness in, or does he go back to his ways of seeing a lot of pitches until he gets a good one to hit and then putting the barrel on it? So basically what you're saying is maybe he was pressing a little bit too, or maybe he's seen an advantage to that aggression. And, you know, I always go back to listening to Mark McGuire talk about hitting home runs Mm -hmm. in in, in the 98 season. He literally said, and I believed him, and I still believe him. He said, when I go up to the plate, I'm not trying to hit a home run. I'm just putting the bat on the ball. The ball happens to fly off my bat. And, I mean, the ball was flying off his bat his rookie year. The ball was flying off his bat at USC when he was in college. So he's he was always a home run hitter. Of course, yeah, he got a little help towards the end, but so <laughs> did everybody else and pitchers involved. We won't get into that. But he literally said, I never tried to hit a home run. Another example, Chipper Jones said, I always tried to put a hole in the center field wall. The ball would fly out of the park. So, you know, we are in a day and age of trajectory, pitch, launch angle, all that stuff. And I think a lot of that has had a negative effect overall um, in the production of hits because I believe it's 58% or 51% of runs in Major League Baseball are scored off of the home run. Mm -hmm. And so – they have big, you know, if if a guy can get me 40 bombs, but he's going to strike out two or 300 times, I'm, I'll take the 40 bombs, right? So his power, um, he's made strides in regard throughout um, his, his first full seasons, accumulating in a strong showing this winter. Um, it's likely um, it's likely never to play average or better in game, but Pena can punish mistakes and drive balls with authority to the gaps. His ability to do this without selling out, like you said, for power, makes him promising a promising offensive player. Some natural loft in his swing and improving hard contact quality. His grade's 45, but let me ask you this. If he is, okay, how is a strikeout rate like his as high as it's been if he's selective? Is it because he's trying to hit the ball too hard? He's too aggressive with the swing? Um, because you would think, Hey, if I'm only going to swing at strikes, I'm, pr- I hope I hit more than I, you know, more than I miss. Yeah. And, and so, so part of it for him is pitch recognition, right? You know, learning major league spin and break and, and you might not think it's a strike, but it clips the, the outside corner, or he did spend a little bit of time in a league that had automated balls and strikes. Well, those strike zones look a little bit different than the human strike zone. So part of it is that. And then part of it is there, there is going to be swing and miss. You are going to see a strike and just not be able to catch up to it, whether it's faster than you expected, you're going to be caught out front on a changeup, something like that. Uh, but the thing that I like is, is hit. I would rather you strike out swinging and missing than strike out looking. And he can identify when a ball is close enough to the zone that I need to try to hit it, or I can lay off because this is nowhere near. And so, yes, yeah, some of it's just swinging and missing, which every player does some of that. Um, oh, baseball's yeah. a game of failure. Uh, but the thing that I like about it is he doesn't he 
he doesn't watch strikes go by too many times. He will, you know, he will swing at strikes and lay off of balls. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. You've heard me talk about them now. Uh, we know them. We love them. Built Bars are the protein bars covered in 100% chocolate that tastes like candy bars. All Built Bars, 17 grams of protein, um, four net carbs, 130 calories. They're much better for you than your usual uh, candy bars, other kind of snacks like that. So uh, take all of your stashes of other candy, um, whether it's your car, whether it's your office at work, whether it's around your house, wherever it may be. Get rid of those, replace them with Built Bars. Tons of different flavors. Mint brownie, peanut butter, peanut butter brownie is one of my favorites. Coconut almond, white chocolate cookies and cream. They have all kinds of recurring flavors, like all the time. They have rotating flavors and they have limited time flavors. Go to built.com and you can check out the list of everything that's there. While you're there, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at built.com. So let's do this. In this third segment, let's talk about Jeremy Pena's projectability. And one of the things that I talked to a good friend of mine um, named Mark White, he has been he has been a source for me for a lot of like Astro stuff. Like he's given me a lot of like insider understanding of, of how Jim Crane runs the minor leagues about how he hires, how they draft players, all that stuff. And he said, where a lot of people miss is on a player's projectability. Mm -hmm. And he said, projectability is not something you just know. It's something that you learn about. And tell us about Jeremy Pena's projectability in your eyes. Okay, so so what I like to do when I'm trying to figure out a prospect to what are they going to be as a finished product in MLB is I try to look at what is the floor, what is the ceiling, and what is the most realistic place in the middle where he would end up. Uh, and the thing you have to keep in mind about all of this is when I say like the floor is you know a, a defensive first shortstop that has gap power and bats eighth or ninth, that is with the understanding, we both have the understanding that the actual floor is he's not an MLB. He fails out of baseball completely and goes and sells insurance. Like I'm not, I'm just kind of leaving all that out, you know. Uh, but that is something we have to keep in mind is there is risk inherent in every single prospect. Uh, part of the reason why he's rated higher than a lot of others is because we understand enough about him to rule some of that risk out. So the floor, uh, for him, I kind of have him at about a 45, a guy who would be a starting shortstop on a non-contending team. You know, pirate shortstop Jeremy Pena, something like that. Um, defensive first shortstop that has mostly just some gap power. Um, he's got higher strikeouts than you'd like. His average is around 250 or so, and he's hitting about 10 or 15 home runs a season. Um, the floor. Now, the thing about that is the percentage likelihood that I put on that is pretty low. I mean, 10, 20%. Uh, the, the ceiling where I have him is perennial all-star contender, 25 to 30 home run power, average of around 290 gold glove candidate, 60 to 65 grade. Um, the most likely outcome is, you know, a, a first division regular. So a starting shortstop for a contending team, 15 to 20 home run power, batting average around 275 or so. Um, slightly higher strikeouts from what he had last year in AAA, but nothing egregious. And when I'm trying to figure out the, the floor and the outcome in the ceiling, it kind of comes back to what are the main determining factors that are going to influence him, or that are going to make or break him, for lack of a better term. And for him, there's like it, it, 
it's got to be the power potential. It's got to be how much power can he generate? We heard the grade in there as a, you know, a 45, I think was on the scouting report that you had. And it's something we saw him come back from the four month wrist injury and generate a lot more power. He was physically in better shape, but he was a lot more aggressive. And so with that additional power came more strikeouts, came a lower average. And so what I'm looking for this year is does the power numbers go back to where they were and the strikeouts and average go back to where it was? Or do the strikeouts and and average go back to where they were and the power stays here? So where his power develops pretty much tells me which of those outcomes he's going to get. And I think that his mental makeup, and we've heard this a lot coming from his dad, his time in college and everything, that's a mitigating factor where if I'm kind of not sure, I'm like, well, I know that his head is on straight. You know, he understands, he knows what he's doing. He's a good leader. He's good instincts at baseball. And that's going to be one of those things that is a differentiator between a 60 and a 65 or a 55 and a 60. Um, There's small things he'll change. Uh, I'd love to see his swing refine a little bit just to not hit as many ground balls. Hmm. Uh, And it's something he doesn't have to go for a 30 degree launch angle. I just want it to come up, you know, to line drive level versus down small tweaks. But for the most part, it's what is his power going to do at the big league level? And, you know, someone like him, I would think, because we haven't seen him obviously in a full major league season or even in a major league game yet, but I would think someone like a young player not having the shift or that coming into play where it's banned might actually benefit these young guys because they don't have to try to figure out as much. Cause once the scattering reports out on you, Oh, he pulls everything to left field. Well, they're just going to stack three or four infielders on the left side, mm-hmm. but playing a minute made park, the left side of the ballpark is absolute gold. And Crawford boxes. the Crawford boxes has been a huge, I mean, coming from a guy who grew up watching Jose Cruz hit 25 home runs in the Astrodome was his home stadium. Can you imagine if Jose Cruz and Billy Hatcher and these guys had Minute Maid Park? Can you imagine if Jeff Bagwell had Minute Maid Park to like start his career? Bagwell would have easily hit over 500 home runs. Easily. He'd be the Mark McGuire. He would would be. Production-wise, yeah. Oh, exactly. But, you know, I I think, too – a, a lot of fans will listen to this and they're like, oh, wow, the ceiling, that's amazing. Like, I'm just like, can we just stop there? Can we just have him be the ceiling? Because here's the thing. If he's anywhere between the most likely outcome and the ceiling or even the most likely outcome or close to it, that is all I would ask for. And yeah. that is what you need. And because losing Springer, losing mm-hmm. Correa, back-to-back years – Everybody throws Cole in there, but but Cole is a, Cole to me wasn't here that long to really garner that like we pulled a big guy out of the out of the um out of the clubhouse. Although I was at that 15 strikeout game against the Rays and it was like a mind-blowing performance, right? Like you don't want to lose that guy, but I'm talking about guys that transform clubhouses, Springer mm-hmm. Correa. Jeremy Payne doesn't have to be that guy. And that's where I think he that's a good thing for him. You've got Altuve You've got Bregman, you've got Tucker, you've got Yuli, you've got your stalwarts, you've got your Lance McCullers. He's now been dubbed the captain of the team. And there was actually a great quote from Dusty Baker, I want to say right around when spring training started. He said, you can't expect him to be Carlos. I just want him to be himself. I was in that same kind of boat as a kid when I was the next Hank Aaron. Those shoes are just too big to fill. And so the thing that I like is the Astros, 
both the uh, you know the the management, the front office, the minor league staff. Everybody seems very aware of we have to like we can't rush Jeremy Pena through this. We have to let him dictate where he hits in the lineup based on his production. We have to like we can't just sub out a car a Carlos Correa for a Jeremy Pena and act like nothing changed. They're very aware of that. And so the fact that he's not going to be asked to carry the love uh, clubhouse to to you know hit fourth and carry the lineup makes me feel like that combined with his mental makeup uh, he's going to be he's he has a better odds than most people to hit that ceiling versus just the the most likely projection. Exactly, and so you know to wrap this up in this you know final segment. What are the players? What is the Astros front office saying about him? And heck. What did even Robinson Cano say about him? Um, my first quote comes from James Click, the um, Astros GM. He's always been a natural athlete, but he has really dedicated himself to getting stronger. Watching his batting practice during the playoffs was really impressive. I know some people may dismiss, oh, batting practice in the playoffs. No, but still, like you're still looking at guys. And he was there for emergency purposes. Um, that know? was the point I was going to make is his makeup is such where they were comfortable enough with saying, yes, you missed four months of the season. You have not appeared above AAA, <laughs> but yet we're going to put you on the taxi squad and we're going to bring you to the World Series and we are not afraid to break that glass in case of emergency. Uh, I mean, having a makeup like that where Dusty Baker is not worried about having to throw you into a World Series game is huge. Exactly. And he says this, whether or not he's he's ultimately, um, you know, ready or not is up to him. We'll assess that and determine that as our roster needs get filled. Obviously, Jose Altuve, like if you run this club and you're a young player, you want Jose Altuve's approval. You may not ask for it, but in the back of your mind, you're like, man, I really hope Jose likes me. And he said this. He's going to be a superstar. I can tell by his attitude. He cares. He wants to be the best. He's going to steal bases, too. They say he's faster than me. I don't think so, but he's pretty fast. As far as Jeremy Pena, he stole 29 bases in the minors in three seasons, uh, caught stealing 11 times. I think Altuve is probably faster than him as of right now, but Altuve's a little bit older, and I think that's probably quickly going to change. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just with his strength and strength and conditioning. And I think as long as he stays flexible, I think that was really the problem where you saw with Bregman. Um, and the reason why I mentioned Bregman is because the increase of strength with Pena. Bregman put on like 25, 20 pounds of muscle, and then all of a sudden these soft tissue injuries started coming up. And the more guys work out, the more they bulk up, the less flexible they become. And at shortstop, you've got to have that flexibility. A couple other quotes here by Troy Stitaker, um, who is the Astros co-hitting coach. He describes Pena as a twitch freak. And then Joe Espada, he says, this is not new for him. He has been around us. He is the kind who knows how to go about things. And Robinson Cano, he's an athlete. He can run, he can move, hit for power. Two, for me, he has all the tools. And then Bregman said, they said, do you believe what Jose Altuve said? He's going to be a superstar. Bregman's like, I believe it. So, you know, how important is it for him to get the validation, not only from the front office, because of course they're going to tout him, right? But validation from the stalwarts and the, and the veterans in the clubhouse, the veterans that have been a part of the longest 
known playoff streak, the most games played together in this infield, with even with Carlos Correa leaving, they set a record for most games infielders played together in the postseason. Imposter syndrome is real. And so as a player, I, everything like baseball, so much more than so many other sports comes down to like mindset and the mental aspect of it. Can you handle failing every day? Because I mean, hitting, if you're, if you fail only six times out of 10, you're the greatest hitter alive. Uh, so having the validation of the players out there and their, their belief, whether it's uh, it's coaches, it's, it's the players, it's guys he's looked up to, it's guys he's going to be on the field with, like Altuve, people he's looked up to, like Robinson Cano. Um, like that is something where, but he, thankfully he has his head on straight, but he is going to be confident that they trust me to do my job. Uh, they respect my abilities and what I can do. And it is probably the best possible situation for him to be successful is they, they have set him up as far as, he has a lot of experience around him in the infield. He has a veteran team that does not not counting on his leadership in the clubhouse. And then the team is prepared with uh, Goodrum and Diaz if something doesn't work out, if he gets hurt, but he's not competing with somebody to try to earn the job where he's going to press, he's going to try to do too much. He can ease into the job knowing he has the support of everybody around him. Excellent. I, you know, I love that. I, it's like, I don't want to just agree with you because you're with the network, but because I know that you know so much about this, I'm going to throw you one curveball to wrap this up, okay? Okay. Buy or sell, and I'm going to give you a, a couple questions I just came up with on Jeremy Pena. Now, okay. I'm not. We're not. We're not going to put the, Lindsay's credibility is not on the line here. Okay. He had no idea I was going to ask him this, but I just want to know what he's thinking from his perspective. Buy or sell, Jeremy Pena hits 15 plus home runs this season. Bye. Okay. Okay. I feel having, having watched the video of some of his triple a stuff when he came back, I feel confident that um, between where he's going to hit in the lineup uh, and, and some of the power he showed last year, I think he's going to get at least 15 provided he provided he plays for the full season. All right. So let's take this next question as if he plays the full season, he starts most of the games Jeremy Pena sneaks into the conversation of rookie of the year, buy or sell? Sell only because I think it's already Bobby Witt. Okay. It's already done. I, it's, uh, it's. Okay. So, but, but do you think, do you think he could work himself at least? Would he be, be maybe in the be running? In the top 10 vote wise? Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. I do think he will be in the top 10 vote-wise. I don't think we're going to have the legitimate conversation about is he the, the rookie of the year or not, simply because I think there's so many five-tool players who are incredibly hyped that are going to be glaringly obvious. But he does get uh, rookie of the year votes, yes. He is okay. somewhere in that top 10 for rookie of the year votes. And the last one, buy or sell, Jeremy Pena makes the All-Star game by his third Major League season. Ooh, hang on, hang on. Short stops in the league. <laughs> I'm making sure I don't like disrespect somebody else who would get it over him. Um, you know what? By his third season, I'll buy that. I'll buy okay. that. I mean, part of my grade for him was was occasional All Star. Um, I will buy somewhere in his first three years. Do I get Do I get credit for injury replacements? Yes. 
Yes. Okay, then I, then I am buying Jeremy Pena All-Star Game stock. Okay, there you go. Through the like moon, it. baby. Nice. All right, well, you know what? That wraps up everything. The next Houston Astros superstar, Jeremy Pena, the current superstar of minor league baseball and prospects, Lindsey Crosby sat in with me to make this an even more intelligent conversation. You know, we appreciate you coming in, sir. Tell the fans one more time where they can find you. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My show is on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can subscribe to Locked On MLB Prospects wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Mm-hmm.